Welcome to Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman, and today I've got Bill Schlau, Chief Information Officer of the San Francisco Giants, along with our co-host, Andy Dolich. And as we were joking earlier, uh, Bill and Andy have quite the amount of jokes, so I'm going to let the jokester introduce the jokester today. Uh, Andy, take it away. So we won't do any quick one-liners uh, because Bill and I, uh, you know, both live in the heart of Siliconia here, um, and his office is up with the Giants in San Francisco. The Giants have made two significant pieces of news in the last week or two. Uh, one, as it relates to naming rights uh, for their ballpark. Two. Um, an addition on the technology side, and Bill is the CIO, um, he knows pretty much what's happening on the cutting edge of all realms of sport. So, Bill, before you GPS our listeners through your incredible roadmap to where you sit today, uh, tell us a bit about um, the news that the Giants have made uh, with a large technology company and then a large television set. All right, happy to do so, and, and happy to join you guys. Uh, I am a uh, longtime listener, first-time caller to uh, Life in the Front <laughs> Office, and uh, seriously, been looking forward to this for a while. I must, be, must have been, I'm a little intimidated to be in the presence of, of you two celebrities, but I'll do my best to hold my own. Um, speaking of uh, intimidating, uh, we, we got the regu- rather intimidating news last week, that we will have uh, about 75 days to change uh, the words AT&T everywhere that they appear and have appeared for over the past decade here at well, the place that was formerly known as AT&T Park to Oracle. Um, very excited about that transition after uh, this will be our will be our fourth name, but really the second company that has had naming rights uh, at this ballpark in San Francisco. And uh, again, it, it'll I, I, it's going to have to definitely set records for the fastest name change in history with uh, just over two months between now and our first game here. So that was huge news uh, last week. Really excited about uh, our upcoming next couple decades with Oracle here at the ballpark. And then the other big news that we've been working on uh, here all offseason is replacing uh, what was the second oldest and I think fifth smallest video board in all of baseball. It's 12 years old. Uh, our Mitsubishi Diamond Vision had served us well here, but given the fact that it was installed before the iPhone existed, it definitely was time for a refresh. So we decided to uh, not only replace it, but uh, go a little bigger. Uh, we won't be quite as big as, uh, as a couple of other counterparts in baseball. Uh, the Mariners are a little bigger. My good friend Dave Curry up there, I didn't want to upstage him. Uh, Cleveland Indians, Neil Weiss, my counterpart there, who uh, has Bay Area roots, didn't want to upstage him. But uh, we will be the third biggest board in baseball. We'll be the first that is 4K, approximately triple the size of the board we have today. Uh, about the same size as the Cowboys board, although they have one on each side. We're only going to put the one face in the field here. Uh, and uh, we've got, uh, as of the taping of this podcast, 66 days to get it in. And right now it's just a big hole. So uh, we've got our work cut out for us. Bill, it's kind of mind-boggling um, that, if I'm correct, this is going to be the 20th anniversary of your ballpark. Is that correct? That is correct. We will be, and, this will be our 20th season, yeah. yes. 
And so clearly it's viewed as one of the finer, if not the finest ballpark in the majors. From your perspective, having been there and seeing all these changes, but knowing that ultimately it comes down to the team on the field massively successful over the last few years and three World Series. But when you come to work every day and you think about how quickly 20 years have passed, what sort of jumps out to you uh, in, in sort of the time capsule of 20 years and what you've done and what the Giants have done in that magnificent ballpark? Wow. Um, you're right. Time flies. Uh, I've been married 20 years. I've had kids for only about half of those 20 years. Uh, so I don't have to, I still have my hair, the few gray ones up there, but that's what jumps out at me first. I'm, I'm happy that I still have my health and, uh, and things have changed for me personally a lot going from a relatively kind of a single guy to a, a dad of two now. So that's changed a lot in terms of what's happening here at the ballpark. I mean, building the ballpark, doubling our revenues overnight, uh, moving from candlestick to AT&T park felt like, you know, uh, I'm going to quote one of your peers, and he's going to hate me for this, but he probably doesn't listen to the podcast anyway, Pat Gallagher. Um, <laughs> Pat, Pat once upon a time said, uh, he's like, well, we've accomplished so much here at this ballpark with building, building the new ballpark and taking revenues to a whole new level. All the success we've had on the field, the crazy run with Barry Bonds and everything that's happened over the years. All that's really left at this point is to manage the decay. And uh, since he <laughs> said that, I think we won three championships uh, we now are responsible for the development of the Mission Rock site adjacent to the park. Uh, we took a significant interest in our broadcast network and uh, our CEO, Larry Bear, and the rest of the organization just seem to keep coming up with new ideas, new ways to drive the business forward uh, every year. Um, and uh, so we haven't quite reached that stage that Pat had predicted yet, but I'm sure it's coming at some point. But every year there's something new. And it's kind of ironic. Yesterday, I just happened to be in your neighborhood and drove around Mission Rock and China Basin and drove past Chase Center. Um, I feel bad for anybody that doesn't have a VIP parking place anywhere in that footprint because it is just the busiest, most incredible anthill beehive of activity that I've ever seen. And I think well, Bill, hey, hey, because I gotta, you've I been able. You, man. Sorry, I but but yep. you know you're showing your age a little bit. I'm sorry <laughs> to say, man, because parking. But who who parks anyway? Parking? What what are, are you parking? Are you parking drone, your Uber? Drone parking. Drone parking. Did you not hear drone? The drones parking? just hover. They don't need to actually park. Oh, they drop you in your seat. I'm sorry, I left that out. So <laughs> thank you. Jake, uh, we got a lot of rim shots in this, but <laughs> when you look at the magnificence of what's happened in that area, it is sort of the new realm of many sports, not just in this country, but around the world, that just building the sports venue isn't enough, right? I mean, you guys are, are moving forward, the Warriors, you have many other examples. 
did you ever see that coming, you know, 21, 22 years ago? Yeah, I, I personally didn't. I'm not going to give myself the credit for that. And if I had, as many people would say, you know, they would have bought up real estate all over the region. So I'm sure a, <laughs> a couple of our owners probably had that foresight. And our CEO, Larry Bear, definitely had that foresight because those 20 years is about how long it's taken for us to get approval to start building on the site between us and the Warriors. But he, he's always described this uh, spot as the corner of Maine and Maine. And uh, that's the vision he had and many in the organization, Jack Bear and others have had for this this region of the city. And I think it, you know, it will come to pass if it hasn't already. It will over the next 10 years. So knowing how intellectually uh, involved. Andy dropped off again, and I think he was trying to pull another prank like he did on Brent Shobe's episode uh, earlier this year. But. Bill, I got a question for you when, whenever Andy does show up again. Um, you were on the 40 Under 40 in 2010 from Sports Business Journal, and, and that means you're probably still 29, right? So um, I won't, won't age you there too much. But talk a little bit about how you got to where you're at. Um, and, and to Andy's point, the involvement in the Giants for the last 20, 20 or so years um, and really being able to, to stay in a culture and and build a culture there in San Francisco. Yeah, sure thing, man. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll not, I don't consider myself the most ambitious guy ever. And, and that wouldn't be the case for a guy who's had the same title at the same company for 20 years, which is where I am. Uh, same office, same chair, nothing has changed, but everything has changed in the 20 years I've been at the giants in this same role. And uh, 40 under 40 uh, was something that, that I read about early on in my career. And I thought that would be cool if I could someday achieve that. And in fact, I thought it would be so cool that I actually put it up uh, in a little private place in my office. And I put that up a couple years after I started here um, as something I could aspire to someday. And that 40 under 40 from the year 2002 uh, still sits on that same spot in that same wall in my office um, as as kind of a little goal that I set out and achieved. And what was funny is I didn't achieve it until I was over 40. So uh, when it was published, I was past 40 by that time. But I think when they made the selection, I was still like 39 years and 364 days old. So somehow I snuck in. But um, my counts. path, every, everybody's got different paths uh, and uh, lots of different ways to get here. Uh, and there's always good fortune somewhere along the way. Uh, and, I, and I've listened to a lot of these podcasts. I've heard people tell their stories. I'll just give a really brief executive summary of mine. But uh, in high school, I went to a school where they required sports. It was kind of part of your education was you had classes and you had sports. And so that and I was not a great athlete, but I was forced to play sports. So I played a bunch of different sports and I wasn't great at them, but it, it kind of cultivated my passion for sports, all sports, not just baseball, but all sports. When I went on to college at Duke. Uh, you know, sports are big at Duke also. And so I got, I was active in several sports. Again, I wasn't great at any sports, but I ski raced, ski race. The Duke is definitely a ski racing powerhouse right up there with Colorado and Vermont, Utah, and some of the other ones. Um, but I, I did my best as a, a B teamer on the Duke ski team. Uh, I uh, rode crew at Duke. I founded a softball team that traveled around the state and played a bunch of different folks, whether they're old folks or other schools or whatever it might be. So sports has always been big for me. And so when I, when I left Duke, I thought that, that that era was and my passion for sports had ended and it was time to get a real job and move forward with life. And so I applied to some regular companies for some regular jobs and I couldn't get any. 
Uh, it was a tough time to graduate when I graduated in 92. Only, uh, you know, less than 20% of my graduating class, engineering class at Duke got jobs, which you could compare to today. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, 99% get jobs. Well, it wasn't like that in 92 during a recession. And so I went back home and I mowed lawns and I delivered pizzas waiting for a job. And I took the first job that came my way in technology consulting. And again, I was on my way. Boom, there's my career. And maybe I'll play some club sports some club volleyball on the side. And that'll kind of, you know, scratch that itch. But fortunately, in my early days with EDS, um, I got the opportunity to work at World Cup Soccer. And uh, I realized there actually is a business of sports. And I found my way into it. And after that, I never looked back. And I said, this is my niche. This is where I belong. I was right around the same age you are right now, Jake, that I made my entry. I was 23. And, uh, and I, I said, this is where I want to be the rest of my career. So I just leveraged the contacts I had to work at the Olympics and make my way ultimately to the Giants and uh, never look back. So that's, that's my executive summary of how I got here. How, how did you major in mechanical engineering at Duke? And, and I know you just talked about the passion of sports, but uh, my dad actually majored in engineering when he was in school. And, you know, and he actually got his MBA as well. And, I, and he's in sales, right? But one of the things he had said was it's, it's how it teaches you to critically think. Was that one of the things that maybe you took away from, from that experience and, and how it applies to what you've done over the last 20 years at the Giants? Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and I was raised, uh, I moved every two to four years throughout my childhood to different states all across the country. And I was always, uh, my sister and I uh, were very different. We both lived the same childhood, but we both, both turned out very different. And for me, I was always a follower. Whatever my parents you know, said I should do. I said, okay, it sounds good. You know, you guys have been successful in your careers. Okay. So they said, here's what you do. You know, you're an analytic type. You're good in math. You're going to go to school, you get an engineering degree, work a few years, go get an MBA, and then, you know, take on an executive position somewhere. I'm like, okay, well, that, that sounds like a good path. I'll follow your lead. So they, they, the ones that I give the credit for, for putting me down this path. And I think it's served me very well, both the analytical skills I developed as an engineer. I never wanted to be an engineer. I wanted to be out rowing, or skiing, or playing softball, or, you know, I didn't want to be in the library studying thermodynamics, that's for sure. And, uh, and my grades probably reflected that while I was at Duke. But, uh, you know, what I learned while I was there in terms of analytical thinking, and then when I went on to get my uh, MBA, you know, making a business case, and, you know, kind of finance, strategy, all that, man, I use that stuff every day. And I think it served me very well in my career. One thing Bill, that I noticed, and oh, oh, and, I, and Andy, Andy, wow, you are back on. Yeah, awesome. see, I was working on a mechanical engineering uh, project in plasma physics, um, and that basically interrupted my time on the call. Bill has been a frequent guest at my classes, um, and he for you got one coming up, Andy. Right? Well, you, you yeah. should get a plug in for that. Yeah for young sports careerists, but he's also given a lot of his time to people on the giant staff that are trying to figure out, you know, how do I move up? What are the one or two pieces of most important information and your advice to those that are already in the business, but looking to start making the upward ladder climb you know, to get more authority, to get more involved and to make more money. Um, I know you're joking because you're always joking, Andy, but 
I'd say if the goal is to make more money, you're, you're definitely in the wrong career path. And, and <laughs> both you guys can attest to that. I'm sure Amen. Um, you should take, take a different path. If your goal is to make more money, that's never been my goal. Um, and, um, for, I could say the same for most people who work here. Um, so that that's one piece of advice. If, if you're driven by money, this is not where you want to be because really what it's all about is finding your passion, whether that's sports or whether it's food or whether it's music or, or selling widgets, whatever it is, finding your passion, finding a way to turn that into your day job. Uh, there's something with avocation and vocation smart people could say, but that's what I mean. And, uh, and so what's my advice is, is you got to find a job that doesn't feel like a job and you're going to work your tail off to be successful wherever you are. But you got to want to come to work every day because of the people you're working with and because of the product you're putting out there. And, you know, I'd say 100 percent that's the case for me or, or I wouldn't be here. I love sports. It's not that I just love the Giants. I just love being involved in in putting on a show with the world watching, whether it's the Olympics or the World Cup, Major League Soccer, the Giants, whatever it might be. So you got to find that passion, whoever you are. And uh, and when I'm interviewing for people at the Giants, some people say, well, I don't. I don't want a fanatic to come in here. They're just going to want to get close to the players. And, and that's, yeah, I get that, but I'm not going to hire somebody if they, if they don't care about baseball and care about the giants, because I'm not going to get, you know, the whole person engaged in this job. This is about so much more than a paycheck and a nine to five. So that's step one, find your passion. You know, what other advice do I have to people? Is that, you know, somebody's always watching. You know, some people say it's kind of like if a tree falls in the woods, does any, did it really fall? Nobody heard it. Um, it, it. No matter what you do, somebody's watching. And if nobody's watching, it's about your own integrity. And so anything you do, everything you take on, kick ass and make sure that, you know, try to try to take an altruistic approach to things. Like we had a, um, when I started, our mission statement for the Giants had a section that a lot of people didn't understand. And it was, it said, uh, you know, we're dedicated to, and I'm going to misquote it because this is from a few, many years ago, but it was like the debt to, you know, building the Giants as a community asset. People are like, what does that mean? Build the Giants as a community asset. So I took my own team and I said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to paraphrase that for ourselves within it here at the Giants. So we're going to say our goal is to make IT an organizational asset. And how do we make IT an organizational asset? Is that when any other department, any other person in the organization says, hey, can you help with this? Whether it has anything to do with IT or not, whether it's selling puka shells on Jerome Williams Day at the ballpark, or whether it's pitching in on the field for FanFest, uh, whether it has anything to do with IT or not, volunteer. Because if you do that, people are going to think, hey, that guy, he's really helpful. He's cooperative. He's the kind of guy I want to have on my team. And if we all do that as a department, everybody's going to look to IT as, oh, man, not those aren't the guys who, when I need them, they're not there. Or my computer's always broken. I mean, like, that's the guy who helps me when I need it, whether it has anything to do with technology or not. So, so realize somebody's always watching you and, you know, help others. It's pretty simple. Yeah, I, I have a perfect example of that. So I did this high school talk at Gunn High School, which is in Palo Alto. And there were like 200 kids, they're seniors, and everybody's too cool for school. And they all have a responsibility, you're going to introduce Mr. Dolish, you're going to do this. And I was talking to one of the teachers. And I said, I want to see if anybody sits in the front row. And it wasn't until like 30 seconds before I was to start that only one person sat in the front row. And you could see all the other kids, they were posseed up. 
And this kid was looking around and he was, you know, looking a bit nerdy. And I introduced, you know, I was introduced and I pulled out a $10 bill and gave it to the kid. <laughs> and then you saw all these other people try to morph up to the front. And I said, no, you lose, you know, because you're, you know, to Bill's point, you got to stick your nose into it. Um, you got to be a Swiss army knife. And how did you get to the point of, you know, adding those particular tools to your skill set? Man, I mean, I, I, I would have to give credit to mentors in my life and my family, I would say. I mean, it's, you know, I've been exposed over my career and my life to a lot of role models. And, and Charles Barkley always said he's not a role model. And others say, but if, if you're out there, you're a role model for someone, whether you realize it or not. And I, like I said, I listen to a lot of your podcasts and I love hearing all the different mentorship stories. Um, what's crazy for me is there are some people out there who are mentors for me, and I bet they don't even realize it. And you, you think of a formal mentor relationship as someone you talk to regularly and you ask for advice. There are people who are role models and mentors to me that they, they never realized it, but they were modeling behaviors that I said, you know, that really mm -hmm. works for that person. That's why they, they are where they are today. Right. If and say so, if you say. Andy, <laughs> Andy was about to comment and I think the hackers got him again. So, Bill, I'm going to try and finish his question if I can read his mind, but. Um, I think where he was going to go with this was, you know, what what have your mentors taught you from the perspective that, you know, you've been able to mentor other people uh, and and have you been able to draw parallels uh, there? For sure. And uh, and and I'll give props to the guy again who's not going to listen to my podcast, Pat Gallagher, as being an incredible mentor to so many people at the giants and elsewhere, someone who really modeled behaviors. Maybe, maybe Pat Gallagher just joined us or maybe it was Andy. I'm not sure. Andy, you back? No, uh, this, is, this is our experiment in uh, information interruptus. So it's, it's gotta be me. Right. Um, and I know this is becoming that much more important when I'm not on. So I'll leave it to you guys to, to continue the conversation. All right. Well, I'll keep going. And I'll just say Pat modeled behavior where he always, you know, one thing I learned from Pat and again, a lot of mentors I've had, but he always put people first. He always made time when he was in this office to take informational interviews with students and others and, and volunteer his time, you know, with his kids, sports and other things. And I saw him doing all these things. And I was like, you know, he is a successful executive here who is highly respected and he is giving back every day. He spends more time giving than taking. And that's that's a model I admire and I want to follow. And so for me, I'm a pretty structured guy. Like I set goals and objectives every year. And I'm and like I said before, you know, to me, this is not a job. This is a way of life working for the Giants. So my goals and objective over the years have included have a kid. That was one of the goals that I got measured on. And and unfortunately, it, it worked out. I had the kid that put a lot of pressure on myself to put that on my goals. But I put that as a goal. I also put a goal is to do th at least 30 informational interviews and mentoring sessions with, with students and others over the years. And it may sound altruistic, but it's not because I've been doing this for 20 years. And one of those guys who was a person that I talked to while they were in school is now an executive with the Raiders. Uh, another is 
uh, is now with NBC Sports Bay Area. And I was talking to him when he was in elementary school. And I've got someone else who has really risen through the ranks internationally is now here with the Giants. So it pays off. You're, you know, that's kind of a pay it forward type of thing when you talk about how you build your network. You know, mentoring people at a young age, if you stick around long enough, next thing you know, you might be working for one of those people. So I learned that from Pat. And, you know, I could I could give you a hundred different things I've learned. But since Pat's one of the kind of namesakes for this podcast, I figured I'd give him a little bit more love there. Pat Pat certainly um, might be jealous that Andy's on on with you as opposed to him. But uh, Andy's not really on. He's only on about half the time. today. Well, that's sort of the mission of my life. He's only on half the time. So you're absolutely correct. That is right. Bill, one question for you in, in terms of, you know, a lot of people nowadays hop from place to place. And um, you mentioned that you moved about every two to four years of your life. What did you learn early on from from that aspect of your life? And, and maybe other people listening on here can relate or for someone like me who, who grew up in, in Scottsdale for 18 years, um, didn't move one time. You know, what, what did that teach you and how has that affected um, your career? I'd say that has had everything to do with my success. And I would say there's a little nature and a little nurture there, though, because my sister lived the same lifestyle growing up. And she is an art teacher in the Detroit suburbs. And that was one stop along the way for us. And she will never leave that area. And she's very grounded and very happy there. But for me, um, being moved every few years uh, just made me want to continue to move and continue to experience different environments. And like I said, it totally made me who I am. Every time I moved, I cried. And I knew we were going to move because my parents would take us to a nice restaurant and they would only do that when we were going to move. So it was foreshadowing. <laughs> we'd go to the nice, nice restaurant and we'd start crying when the appetizers came because oh, we knew man. what was going to happen. Um, and we're moving, you know, not just to another neighborhood across the country. But what it meant is I had to go to a new place and I had to find a way to fit in and adapt. And and so the cool thing for me is that in my career, and so, you know, talk about fate, I, I married uh an amazing woman who's never lived outside 15 mile radius of Los Altos, California in her life and probably never will. And so she's the proverbial ball and chain. And I'm very happy to be married to her for 20 years. But for me, since I'm not moving, I've been here with the giants for 20 years. When new people come to the giants, I know what it feels like to be the new guy. And so I make an effort to reach out to that person, no matter what role they're in, in this organization to welcome them, because I know what that feels like. And I know how important it is to make relationships early on when you start. So I can be empathetic to new people. And I also love being in an environment where I don't know anyone. Uh, and I got to kind of make friends, even though, again, I'm going to live here and be with the Giants for a long time, but I can still go to a conference or I can go to another city. I feel very comfortable adapting to a different environment. I think it's a pretty different. It's a pretty important skill set to have. And I and I somewhat agree. I lament really yeah, important. I lament the fact somewhat that my kids uh, and, and I hear this from so many people. Uh, down in the main, main streets of Los Altos, where where Andy and I live, um, <laughs> that oh my gosh, I would never want to move my kids to a different school. They'd have to. What about their friends? Yeah, well, that's what life's all about: is figuring out how to ways yeah. to make new friends and adapt. You know, you're doing your kids a service by moving them, and I feel bad um, that my kids are 
in one school. So I may just have to move them to a, another neighborhood school to keep them on their toes. <laughs> and what we've talked about before, which keeps coming back, is to get comfortable being uncomfortable. If you're too comfortable someplace, you're really not moving, in, in my view, in the right direction. And you know, one of the points that's, that's really important is that Bill has sort of synthesized, see, I know big words, synthesized the concept of technology, which we know is a tidal wave in sports, and the organic nature of fans coming and enjoying, you know, three or four hours at the ballpark. And we all know people in the business that are incredibly brilliant but maybe don't have some of the people skills and bill you know i'm i'm totally blowing smoke at you now but you've done that as well as anybody in the industry a do you ever think about it in terms of you know your knowledge and also bringing the organic nature of just having fun to what is now oracle ballpark um uh, thanks for the smoke. You can blow as much as you want. Uh, there's a lot of that here in, in the Bay Area. Um, but and I appreciate that, man. But uh, I would say that for me, my skill sets as a CIO are different from a lot of other CIOs. I, most of my counterparts in baseball can dance circles around me technology wise. And my eyes will glaze over not quite as quickly as my bosses will. But if you dig into the technological details of something, my, my, I feel like my job is to bridge the technology and the business side and to look for ways to leverage technology, to put a better product on the field, to make the experience better for us at the ballpark or to drive our business forward. And so that's always been my charter. I feel like I am comfortable, you know, on stage or meeting new people or talking to people and, and, and then what I need to do is surround myself with folks who can execute on the vision that we bring and who can identify new technologies and other things. So I've got a, an amazing team. And one thing that I, I'm very proud of, and we all here at the Giants are proud of, is we have a ton of longevity in this organization, as, as Stacey Slaughter spoke to when she was on your podcast a while ago with you know executives here for you know, 20, 30, we got Mike Murphy been here for 60 years. I mean, we got a lot of longevity in this organization. And, and of my direct reports, I have four direct reports, three of them. And this is my 20th season, 20, uh, 21st season coming up as, as we lose Andy again, uh, <laughs> my 21st season coming up and, and three of my direct reports were here before me. Uh, and I take a ton of pride in that. Um, they've been here a long time, but we're still always, thinking innovatively and i think we got a really complimentary group here bill one thing to that point i mean with people being there so long some would argue well what about the fresh perspectives how do you guys stay kind of up to date in terms of um being able to almost take a step back and look at where you're at you know knowing that you know you're you're always on the grind and in that day-to-day -day. and like you said you haven't left the your same office in 20 years uh, would would switching corner offices maybe make a difference for you? And, you know, how do you, how do you continue to do that on a day-to-day -day basis? For me personally, it goes back to my nomadic core of if it were up to me, you know, I would be moving every two to three years. It's just a therapeutic process for me. Not necessarily moving jobs, but actually moving physically. And, and so 
I am blessed to have a wife and a boss who let me expand my horizons beyond this office I've sat in for 20 years by doing kind of side hustles. And I'm not talking about Uber driving. Uh, I'm talking about working at the Olympic Games, um, working with junior achievement in the community, uh, you know, volunteering my time with YMCA and other things too, but just relative to technology, uh, being able to go to the Olympics every two years and I'll take leaves from the Giants periodically. I was just in Pyeongchang for a month to work on the ground in another country and get exposed to new and different technologies. That is huge in terms of expanding your horizons. I also make a point with my team. Uh, we break up and we visit at least two cities every year. And we schedule a trip to meet with all the sports teams in those cities. So, uh, for example, we went to Milwaukee last year. We met with the Brewers. Then we went up to Green Bay, met the Packers. Uh, we do that in two cities every year. And after 20 years, if you add that up, that's 40 cities. So we've at least we've been to every city more than once, every major league city. And right. uh, we just compare notes because we don't compete except on the field. And we don't compete on the field with the Green Bay Packers. But there's always any team we go visit and talk to. They're doing something that we've never done before. They're doing something better than us. I don't care if you say, well, that's just some podunk small town market. Well, because of that, they're probably able to be a little more nimble than we are. And they can experiment with things. So that's kind of part of our culture. Uh, within my within my team is trying to learn from our counterparts across sports uh, within the country globally wherever it might be hey there's so much to learn there's always somebody doing something that we haven't done before no sure and and actually to to that point as well um with your side hustles you know you're not maybe known as uh, oh you're the guy who works for the giants right you don't necessarily have your identity uh, wrapped up in, in your job, right? It's, it's your lifestyle, as you were saying. And Andy and I were talking about this the other day. It's, it's how do you keep yourself involved in other things so that, you know, who, when, when someone asks who Bill Schlau is, right, your first ex, uh, gut reaction is, oh, I work for the Giants, right? And how do you go about making sure that your identity and, and who you are and what you enjoy revolves around so much more than just that? Um. I'd say, uh, yeah, to, to exemplify that, uh, look at my LinkedIn profile and, and, and how I present myself there. I try to look at, and, and so many people I talk to, when they think of their job, that's all it is for them. Again, I'm reemphasizing that. It's just a job. For me and for those of us in sports, it's so much more than a job, but it still can't define you. It's just got to be one piece of it, which is why I integrate it all together. Uh, and, and I encourage my staff to do the same. We have with our goals and objectives every year, I say, Hey, put a creative objective on there and put it something that, you know, develops you in a way that, you know, something you haven't done before say, Hey, I want to run a marathon this year, put that on your goals. I'll judge you on it. I'll, I'll hold you accountable to it. Um, so I would say, you know, that's just, just how we think. And for me, having kids really changed a lot for me, changed everything. It really expanded my horizons significantly. And when I was thinking about having kids, because I was not, not that this is a parenting guidance podcast and, <laughs> and welcome back, Andy. Um, but uh, yeah, I just had a grandchild. That's why I was off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it seems to after four and three years. Sorry. And if I drop out again, I will let you guys finish up so we don't have this interruption, which I am taking total blame for. I think you're just popping out here and there to do quick hits on CSN or NBC Sports Bay Area or something, knowing you. But No, I was fired there. They haven't hired me back. So, <laughs> But anyway, I was saying having kids did everything for me. And when I thought about having kids, I was married for 10 years before I had my first child. 
And I went to Larry, my CEO, I went to other executives at the Giants who had kids. And I was like, I, I think having kids is going to be a real career limiting decision for me. And I truly believe that it may sound like a joke, but I'm not kidding. And, and in some ways, I think it has been because I have not been able to give as much to the Giants as I did before I had kids. But as I thought about it, I said, am I going to be able to make space in my life for kids with all the time I spent at the ballpark and as passionate as I am about my job? Well, here's a good way to test it. I'm going to train for an Ironman. And if I can make the time to train for an Ironman every week, when I'm done with the Ironman, I'll have kids and I'll take those 20, 30 hours a week I was putting into training for Ironman and I'll be a dad. And when I tried training for Ironman, I realized, you know what? You know, you make the space yourself. You set your priorities in life. If I want to work out uh, at a certain time, you know, nobody's stopping me from doing that. I just need to make it a priority. So I made Ironman a priority. I made kids a priority. And in so doing, I realized that you can be successful in your career and still have other side interests and make them a priority. And in fact, while it has been career limiting in some ways, it's probably given me a perspective that I can share with my staff and others and, and earn their respect by demonstrating that, um, you know, it's not just all about your job. And it also is very humbling to have a young son who could waste his dad through 18 holes of golf playing with one hand. Right. As long as I can keep his head head in the right spot. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, did you have a similar experience in, in the sense to bills? And, and I guess we, we could turn it into an advice for people in, in the uh, world of sports who are uh, either at that age where they're, they're thinking about it, or maybe they already have kids and they're trying to figure out how to better prioritize, prioritize their time. But uh, I certainly am not at that stage, but Andy, uh, any any thoughts there on, on that space? Uh, I'll go back as far as yesterday's interchange with the young people at the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 network. And when I went through my various jobs and all that, somebody, when it came to Q&A, said, so with all of these opportunities that you've had, all these athletes, stadiums, venues, events, etc., what are you most proud of? What's the greatest moment in sports? And I said, for me, and, you know, cue the violins. It's the fact that I've been married to my partner and wife, Ellen, for 45 years, that we have three children who have grown into magnificent adults, none of whom have served long prison sentences, <laughs> who are now all parents of their own, that is the number one moment that I will always think about in sports. And they all looked at me like, well, that's pretty boring. And I, you know, I mean, they didn't say that, but I, I can read thought bubbles above people's heads. And, you know, they wanted something at the club or the private jet or the super athlete in their, you know, crazy life. But literally... Those, and Bill just exemplified it, those individuals who've been most successful in this industry, men and women, they are able to compartmentalize the sort of cosmetic nature of sports and entertainment from what's really important, which sounds unbelievably hokey, but it's family, it's your friends, it's your health. And, you know, for many people, it's their faith, however they define their faith. 
if you have that, you're solid. All the other stuff can vaporize in a moment. Bill, to, to wrap up this episode, uh, as Andy, I think, just did a mic drop, but um, I want to go back to your point about being able to move and adapt uh, to new situations. What would be your one or two pieces of advice to those who are currently going through that? Maybe they just got to a new place, a new job, um, or, you know, are thinking about moving to a new city, uh, but aren't sure if they want to do it. What's, what's your pieces of advice for those, uh, as, as you've experienced in your life? Um, I would say that if you're pondering an opportunity, uh, and, and there's, and it's scary, uh, and it's, you know, a risk involved and it's something you never, you've never done before. Uh, I'd say those are all good signs. Like when I think about new opportunities, I consciously say to myself, one reason that I can never, um, you know, I always have to push down. If it's inside me, I'm consciously looking for it is because you know what? I, I don't think I want to go that route because I'm pretty comfortable where I am. Comfortable is like a, it's like a four letter word, man. If you're comfortable, it's time to hang them up because you always need to feel challenged. You always need to feel scared. And a lot of people I work with laugh at me because I don't, I don't eat very much. You know, some people live to eat. Other people eat to live. I'm one of those eat to live types. And uh, when we travel and stuff, you know, we want to go to a nice restaurant. I just, I'm happy eating power bars, but I, I live my life wanting to always stay hungry physically and mentally as well. And if, if you're hungry, um, you're always looking for the next thing. I don't ever want to sit back in my chair and say, oh my gosh, I'm stuffed. And I don't want to feel that way in my career either. You know what? I'm good. Oh, I'm good. That's the end. It's the end. You know, life's not even worth living if you, if you feel like you're, you're good, you're set. So that's, that's how I think you should think about things. And if there's an opportunity that scares you, okay, you got to be realistic. Don't just walk away from a path. If you're on a path, uh, you know, listen to me talking. I mean, do what I say, not what I do. I've been here 20 years, but I'm always challenged and I'm always hungry here. And I've seen opportunities outside the Giants and I've evaluated them, but I've ultimately decided to stay here, not because I'm comfortable, 100% not because I'm comfortable. It's because I see continued opportunity for growth. And I give all the credit to my boss for creating that type of environment for all of us, because there's a ton of us who've been here 20 to 30 years, but we all you know, so you would think you look at an organization like the Giants. Oh, my gosh, look at all these executives here. have been here so long. You know, it's like a family organization. You know, it just they just must be kicking back. But no, all of us are hungry because that's that's the type of uh, you know environment my boss creates. When you walk out of the of a meeting with Larry Bear, you come ready to run through a wall and do something nobody's ever done before, because that's what gets him excited. It gets all of us excited. And so if there's somebody out there thinking about an opportunity, you know, you feel scared. You feel this could be a stretch for me. Hey, that's what it's all about. Every time for me, I take leaves from the Giants to work at the Olympic Games because I'm, 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 I live here. I'm stuck here in the Bay Area, so I got to find ways to expand myself. When I went to Pyeongchang and I was going to be working on the Intel's virtual reality team out there, setting up cameras on ski slopes in the middle of Korea, scared the crap out of me, man. And I loved it. I loved it. That's what that's what helps us grow. And I would say in conclusion, Bill probably wouldn't want me to divulge this, but Elon Musk has asked Bill to help design the new ball yard on Mars when he starts um, 
colonizing Mars, but don't let anybody know that. It's not breaking news. It's a secret, but that's what Bill's going to do. He hasn't told his family yet, but it's going to be killer. I think I need to buy some stock right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Bill, we really appreciate uh, having you on today. Um, Andy, it's been a pleasure as always. And, you know, we're looking forward to seeing what uh, Oracle Park brings about this year and that new video board. Um, Always welcome on Life in the Front Office. And and we welcome your feedback as we continue to uh, produce our episodes here as, as you're well, well, Jake, listener. Jake, Jake, can I interrupt What's you? That? I Go can't let it. you wind down yet because I got a, there's a, a burning question in the minds of so many of your listeners that I wanted to answer because I am privileged to be on today with, uh, uh this is probably the first time this has ever happened, although it happens on your podcast, but otherwise I got both a 76 er and a 66 er with me and, uh, a prior podcast, wow. <laughs> A prior podcast left a burning mystery in the minds of your listeners that I wanted to answer because, you know, one of you wasn't able, uh, wasn't able to answer the question about where did the 66ers get their name? Um, and so I did a little Googling and I would say the 66ers, believe it or not, started out in Inland Empire. They're in San Bernardino all the way back in 1913. And they were known as the Kittens back in 13. It wasn't until 90. Yes, the San Bernardino Kittens is where they started out. Wow. That's even before even before Fred Clare's time, way back in 1913. Uh, <laughs> the, kittens. the kittens. It wasn't the oh. most menacing moniker. But uh, in 2003, they changed their name to the 66ers. And in the Googling research I did, it was because of the fact that uh, they San Bernardino is right there. As Pat Gallagher well knows, because he drove Route 66 earlier this year, um, they are named after Route 66. And so but it's a relatively new name. And uh, doesn't have as much as much heritage as the kittens did. I'm thinking they should go back to the kittens. But I know you guys left that out there as a question in a prior podcast. So I wanted to make sure I answered it for your listeners. We did, Bill. I, uh, great visual. I'm thinking of the ball of yarn as the kittens mascot. Almost better than the crazy crab, right? Just a ball of yarn. <laughs> wow. It, did did you look that up on Wikipedia? Because you, you're allowed to change Wikipedia too, right? Is that, is that no, I checked. I checked Wikipedia, and all Wikipedia g- gave me was like some information about their mascot, which is like some mechanic or something. So I had to go a little deeper than Wikipedia. Okay, okay. Well, I, I, uh, I'm gonna have to throw that back to some of my colleagues there that are still there and see if they actually know that too. So uh, we we appreciate you doing the the research on that because. Andy certainly caught me off guard in in our episode uh, to start 2019. That's for sure. All right. So to our listeners in, in a final uh, point, uh, we got the 49ers, we got the 66ers, we got the 76ers. Um, Let us know all the sports teams in pro, college, or whatever that have numbers attached to them. Would that be cool? That'd be pretty neat. Or or maybe not, but give give it to us. Let us know all the numbered teams. So um, how about that? Bill, remember there's their... The stop signs are four-way now in Los Altos, so look every way as 98-year-old women speed right through the two on the right side. <laughs> I'll keep I'll keep an eye out for you in front of the Starbucks downtown. You got it. Thanks. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Thanks Andy. Thanks, Phil. And to listen 
to other episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, as Bill always has. And uh, tweet at us at Life Front Office. Thanks again, Bill. And we'll stay tuned for next week's episode. Thanks.